Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 185. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, kids. It's Em from Sierra Garcia. It's awesome to have you back, Em. Yay! It's awesome to be back. I missed you guys. Uh, you were yeah, missed. I know. I did. You know, M, you know, M's having a really tough business trip. It, right it sounds like it. <laughs> it is. I mean, I know, like on Facebook. Oh my god, it is so horrible. <laughs> the beach. I have been forced to go to Miami Beach yes, for I'm, meetings. I forced. Really, at, I'm not just sitting here eating bonbons. I'm actually working. I know <laughs> all these. I, my favorite is the two girls that came up to you today. <laughs> Do you want to tell that story a little bit? Yes, I will tell it very quickly. So I'm running the conference for my office, and I have everything kind of queued up and ready to go, and there's a certain timing for things, and there's a coffee break where I have the hotel wheel in a beautiful table of snacks for my guests. So I have it queued up and ready to go into the room, but it's sitting outside in the hallway. So I step away to go to the restroom, and I walk back, and two girls are kind of hovering, and uh, I, I just kind of said, can I help you? And one of them goes, uh, yeah, we're just getting snacks. And the other one said, yeah, we're with the meeting. Yeah, totally. And I said, um, I, I mean, what I posted on, on Facebook was shorter than what happened. And I said, well, not bloody likely. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because it's my meeting. <laughs> oh, so I know you, this isn't for you. Okay, can we, can we take stuff? Are you in my meeting? Fine. And they walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Busted. I have to, they were busted. And I have to say, you know, it's, this is a big resort kind of property. So there's convention space and vacation space. So these girls have figured it out that you go looking and you find like, if there's meetings going on, there's gotta be a buffet laid out near the meeting space. You just walk up and eat for free. So I give them gold stars for that, but then I take away half a gold star for not being able to speak the English language properly (laughs) when it's clear they've been educated enough to at least speak clearly enough so that they don't sound like they should be one of the lost Kardashians. (laughs) That is a great story. Oh, man, it was awesome. But other Kardashians are available. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that. Oh, well, not from this audience, no. No, not from this audience at all. We're all on board with you. You're good. (laughs) 
Hooray. You are totally good. You're a hero. <laughs> right, right, right. If M does sound a little bit weird, we are booting her in through the iPad tonight. So yeah. it uh, it sounds pretty good from the end. I think you'll be happy okay. with it. So. Yay! And here's tonight's menu. All right, well, let's get into our menu tonight, Miles. What are we uh, serving up tonight on tonight's diner? Well, we have this awesome interview with Amanda Tapping. That, uh, <laughs> Who's Amanda Tapping? Um, what? <laughs> only a, a, a tremendous, fabulous f- female sci-fi action star. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amanda Tapping, of course, from Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Primeval, I guess, has been involved in, of course, Stargate, the Stargate franchise probably most notable for. Yeah. And, I mean, that uh, really put her on the map. So. And... Is it Haven? Oh, sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sanctuary was the one. And she was also guest starring on uh, Supernatural. A few oh episodes. yes, yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that'll make she is amazing. That'll make she's uh, Jen from gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on, and uh, we'll have a new trivia question this week. And TV news, uh, everything you need to know about Josh Sweden's uh, Agent of Shield, and so we'll also have a list of some of our, one of our favorite sci-fi shows are, are coming back. And some, we have information on the new F- Flash show, and we have a Walking Dead spinoff. Right. We're going to talk about that. Because we can't get enough Walking Dead. And <laughs> it's not. called Mostly Dead. Mostly Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, in, in movie news, we all have some movie trailers, and, and, and um, we have a Divergent trailer, uh, and we have some Jurassic World news, and we also have the RoboCop reboot trailer, and we have some Stargate um, reboot news. Reboot news, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And, Yep. And uh, we have a sci- we have a, in the twist talk about uh, the NSA director modeled top secret war room to look like the bridge of, the, of, the, of Star Trek Enterprise. That's classic. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Star Trek continues to inspire. Yeah, absolutely. And our, our sci fi five five we have the top five weirdest inventions predicted in science fiction. Yeah, predicted but not yet materialized. And maybe I'm kind of okay so. with some of them that yes, way. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe those things should not be invented. Yes. yes. Um, I'm still waiting for spray on clothing, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I All right. To that. <laughs> so, you call yourself a geek and a nerd? Prove it. Prove your geek cred by answering challenging trivia and entering for a chance to win some awesome prizes. Okay, so we have another quote I thought would be good. Uh, maybe some of you will get this right away. Some of you, it, it's been so long, you're going to have to work for a little bit. We'll see. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a softball. Really? Oh, well, that, yeah, it, it, yeah. it might be. So here's the quote. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how the, deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I think people will get it, but I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. So we're making it a little easier on you, and um, the code word is uh, quantum torpedo. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And what prize are they earning for answering this awesome? They are going, since we are having our Amanda Tapping interview, we are going to give a, a print, a signed print from Amanda Tapping. So some of her DNA is probably still on it, so you could probably clone your own little you Amanda Tapping. You can have tapping. a framed signed print of Amanda Tapping hanging what? in your, in so, your office. Dude, your cubicle. If you guys don't answer it, I mean, it's it's like we're just handing it to you. I know. I know. Literally. I, if you don't answer it, M's calling dibs on it. 
No, Miles is calling dibs on it because he went more red than I did when he met her. <laughs> awesome. That, that's awesome. not true. Miles has earned it. Well, yeah, it is true. Yeah, <laughs> it is definitely true. It is definitely oh. true. Well, let's move into our first promo tonight. We, uh, I guess, since we're talking. Uh, I was going to say Star Trek, but Stargate, we should obviously be pimping the gate cast a little bit. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what Mike and Alan are doing? Right. So Mike and Alan are now in season uh, nine of uh, SG-1, and they're still working their way through. Um, now, now they're in season two of uh, Stargate Atlantis. So, uh, and both those franchises, uh, franchises, of course, starred Amanda Tapping. Right. Uh, not the first one. I mean, Amanda Tapping comes into um, – Atlantis a little bit later on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think season three is when she takes over. And that was kind of when season one was kind of mm-hmm. slowing down. Exactly. So, um, but yes, I mean her presence is definitely felt on uh, on Stargate Atlantis. But uh, Mike and Alan do a great job of reviewing the episodes of um, of Stargate. Um, the way they kind of a mystery science theater meets exactly. Stargate it's type thing. so it, it, they're a lot of fun, both funny. Uh, one's a Brit, one's from Ireland, and it's just a just a good, fun podcast to listen to if you like Stargate. Awesome. Well, listen to the promo and enjoy it. The myths of a thousand worlds tell of a time when darkness enveloped the galaxy, an age before the coming of the fifth race. Tales and legends of gods that could crush worlds but with a gesture, and vast armies to enslave the free peoples of our realms. Armies whose existence spanned hundreds of generations, yet long gone, and we ask ourselves, what if these myths have a kernel of truth? One thing is known, those who now claim to be descended from the fifth race are not eager to look back into the darkness, but events have conspired against them as long lost worlds outside of the gate systems have been discovered. The first artifacts and data have been studied, and now is the time for the true story to be told. These are the people of the fifth race, before they became saviors of the galaxy. Watch, listen and comprehend then spread the lessons we learned from the people of the Earth and its Stargate command. Engage the translation matrix. Matrix ready. Input search phrase. Gatecast, a Stargate podcast. Gatecast implemented. Translation and interpretation engaged for Stargate archives. Audio format. Enhance, please. Gatecast additional data located. Gatecast.co.uk Also under the heading Facebook, Google+, Twitter and iTunes. Gatecast. Five fans, four fans. Stargate forever. For your first course, the latest in the universe of science fiction multimedia. All right, well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. We have a ton of TV news that we need to cover, Miles and mm-hmm. M. And uh, so let's uh, jump right into it. And my understanding is we have some news about Joss Whedon's Agent of Shields. Well, sure. The f- most important thing you need to know is it, it, it's, it premieres September 24th on ABC. I can't wait. I can't wait either. M, are you looking forward to this show? I broke up with TV, and I'm thinking about putting getting back together with it just to watch this. <laughs> well, you know, the other option, Am, and this is what I do, is I I don't have live TV either. Either You know, I'll, I'll just buy the episodes on iTunes and uh, and then download them, and it's like a day, it's like a day delay, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I figured that what I spend on TV shows a year is like, it's seriously less than half the cost of what I paid for cable. I am tempted to do that. 
I am it, tempted to do that. It's just, it's just that, or, or Hulu, I guess. You're, what, a week behind usually with Hulu? I'm hoping to watch it on the Hulu. I'm so, so excited. So excited. Mm-hmm. So what else do we, what do we need to know about Joss Whedon's show here? Well, it, it's going to be, you know, we, we know that uh, Agent Coulson's going to be in it, who was in the... Um, a lot of these Marvel movies, and also the, the last, the, the first, um, um, the Avengers the movie, Avengers. and he makes it. So he makes his return, and he's going to be leading this cast of um, his, his agents for, for Shield. Uh, it's going to be less comic booky, but still more of a fun action story. So we'll probably see some nifty sci-fi gadgets along the way. Now, this being a Joss Whedon show, what can we kind of expect? I mean, there are some things that have really been kind of signatures for Joss Whedon in TV. Um, Anything that we can be looking forward to, or what are some things that you're hoping to see that you've seen maybe in other Joss Whedon show? I hope that... I I don't know how much he's going to be actually writing in the episodes, but I hope whoever writes them... There'll be some of Joss Whedon rubbed off on them, because one thing I like about Joss Whedon is... The dialogue he writes for his actors—it's—it's—it's it's, it's snappy, it's funny, and clever, and it's so. one of the things that made Avengers mm-hmm. such a good uh, movie, right? And I, how about for you? What are you looking for when, when you when you hear this? What are some things that you're hoping to see within this TV series? Well, given that it's Joss Whedon, the one thing I'm hoping not to see is that he kills off somebody I really like. Okay. <laughs> he better not kill off Agent Coulson like in the first episode because that would be a total d bag move. Uh, that, but, would, that would be a t- total debag move. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to the dialogue, and I'm looking forward to the storytelling, because I think he did a pretty damn good job with um, with Avengers. And having just watched all of Buffy, I can see that he's come a very long way, and I respect where he, he's he's coming from. So I'm, I'm well impressed at how far he's come, and just I can't wait to see how he puts the story together. I hope he's as involved... As I think he is, and if he's not, I'll just have to call him. Right, right. I mean, you your, your, mind. Your, your, your personal connection through Will Wheaton. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, the, here's the thing uh, that I think that gives me at least some initial hope for this is I, I watched. He did. He scripted some animated comics for the iPad initially. This is about a couple of years ago, and I've heard him speak at length about his huge love affair with the comic book in the Marvel Universe. And I think that he certainly has the background and the knowledge and the respect and the love for the franchise that I think that he at least has that backing and to bring it to life in a way that I think is going to be honoring to the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I've always loved about his series, even Dollhouse, even though it got panned and didn't and didn't do well, and there were there were certainly issues with Dollhouse, the dialogue still held together real well. Oh, sure. And that's that's the thing I'm just kind of hoping for here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just the characters are what made this come alive, and especially when I look at Firefly, one of my favorite shows of all time. It's, it was a, it was the the camaraderie, the the way the chemistry between the characters, and mm-hmm. I just hope they can do that here. One thing I also appreciated, I mean, Josh somehow made it, Josh Whedon, yeah, we're on first name basis here. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, but uh, we're buds. But what he, what he, somehow he made it possible was he took in the Avengers movie all these superheroes and all these actors with their own egos and something like that and somehow found a good balance where each one had their own time to shine. And it seemed like there was a good there, there was just good balance struck. They, they all had, you know, something good to contribute. They weren't just a um, 
you know uh, background or um, supporting character. They were you know each one had a, ha- contributed some way. So I, I think it's almost a serenity effect. You know, every these characters in Serenity were so different, mm-hmm. and yet somehow you put them all on a ship. You make them work together, and it works. And that's kind of what happened with Avengers. Yeah, he he really some he, he made these like the Avengers, all these superiors work as an ensemble. And I'm pretty sure he he'll be able to pull it off with Shield too. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on to our next story. Uh, before we get to the TV shows, I thought maybe we'll just hit the uh, short stories we have about TV shows actually in here, then jump to the TV lineup since that's kind of a separate do- document. Uh, and do you want to talk about the uh, the Flash and uh, being cast for Arrow? I kind of kind of highlighted there. Okay. And um, this is, of course, Arrow is coming back. It's one of the shows we'll be talking about. And we loved the first season of Arrow. Oh, yeah. And so uh, it's kind of neat. We've heard rumors that there's a Flash spinoff, and they're doing what they call kind of a backdoor pilot for it. Um, do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Um, I certainly can. Now, I'm, I'm not being a big fan of the of the Arrow, and then I found out John Berman's in it, so I'm going to start watching. Oh, yeah, you um, have to. <laughs> so pretty. Um uh, I just blanked. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just heard John Barrowman and you're like out. It's yeah, like, I was John in my happy Barrowman. Captain Jack place. Yeah, yeah. He's such a great actor. And oh. along with him being a fantastic actor, there's a bunch of great actors getting pulled together for this role. Um, the role's been cast and the reports say that it's a dude named Grant Gustin. He'll be playing the new Barry Allen slash the flash we know that he'll be appearing in a couple of episodes of arrow um like later on like uh apparently number episode eight episode nine and episode 20 and um the last is going to be really kind of a backdoor pilot because it won't really air until the spring so it's it's a smart thing that they're doing this to give it a little test and see how people are going to like it um but the three Flash episodes will be written by the co-writers of Arrow, so you know it'll be pretty consistent. And it'll be kind of neat. It'll have Barry in Central City um, as a assistant police forensics investigator. So I guess he's starting up. We're not going to get young Barry. We're going to get, you know, maybe college to post-college Barry, which is kind of neat. Um, I'm excited. It should be kind of... Keep saying the word neat. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in seeing some more of this genre TV making it to television. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as it goes, I'm going to keep watching. Now, I, I'm having a big problem with DC after Chuckle McChuckleson managed to lose all the people from Batgirl because he's. I'm not going to get on my soapbox right now right. about it, but I'm glad. I'm I'm hoping that um, that. Because there's lots of stories intertwined, and if they continue on this path, they're going to stay true to the characters and not just selectively decide what they're going to do with them. Like, they're only going to allow X percentage of their personality to come out. And Barry has a lot of personality. Right. Well, you know, uh, Grant Gustin, I looked at looked him up because I really haven't heard heard much about him. And he's, he's mostly known, he, he was in Glee, a bunch of episodes of Glee, and on 90210. So really relatively unknown, I think, in the science fiction world right? as far as that goes. So, you know, we'll see how he holds up and how he, how he plays a part of Flash. So. I'll, I'll be curious because the, being that it's going to be introduced from the Arrow show, the Arrow show plays pretty straight with um, the Green Arrow. Uh, pretty dark. A very dark Green Arrow. Yeah, but, but it's just it's, – it's, it's less cartoony than – 
you know, if you, if you look at Flash and, and the bad guys he fights, it, it is it is kind of cartoony. So, I mean, I wonder... So are we going to provide a more serious, a more, I don't know, down-to-earth Flash? I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm very interested in how they're going to make it work. I mean, it, it would be one thing if they would have did a spinoff with Flash from Smallville because Smallville got kind of cartoonish at times, and so it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a huge leap. But 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 Arrow is not cartoonish at all. I mean, you know, I mean, yes, you have this this guy in his green hood who shoots arrows at bad guys, but it's still played pretty pretty straight. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do. Well, let's move into our next story. So we have a Walking Dead spinoff. We, of course, are fans of the dead, although I did not finish season three, um, as you guys all know, because I've been sharing that journey. But we do get a spinoff on the works for AMC. And this is, I mean, this is a no-brainer for AMC. AMC is looking at really a cash cow for them. I mean, Walking Dead has continued to bring in the viewers. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, how can we bring in more viewers? Let's do a series called Almost Dead. Actually, that's not what it's called. That's what (laughs) Em called it earlier. Only slightly dead. Yes, only. I'm not dead yet. I'm getting better. Um, Only a flesh wound dead. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm only a flesh wound walking dead. Um, So 2015 is a premier target date and... It has um, this companion series has producer Robert Kirkman, Gail Ann Hurd, and David Alpert on board as executive producers, and that's obviously Ooh. good because these names are um, associated, obviously, with Walking Dead. He, Kirkman is a co-creator and writer of the comic book, and um, they've been writing that series. I didn't know this for ten years. Been writing Walking Dead. Oh, okay, so long-standing comic book series, and um, not the only spinoff. Um, there's also a Breaking Bad prequel series in the uh, in the works as well, um, and it's called um, Better Call Saul is the name of that series. But as far as this goes, uh, are you interested in a Walking Dead spinoff, Miles? Oh, sure. I'll definitely check out the, at least the first episode. Yeah. How about you, M? I'll give it a try. I'll definitely give it a try. Yeah. See how it stacks up. But. Uh, how about you, listeners? Are you interested in a Walking Dead spinoff? Are you getting sick of zombies? Let us know here on the diner. All right, um, why don't we move into uh, why don't we move into our top uh, TV shows we're looking forward to this year that are coming up? These are some of the ones that are appearing on the uh, lineup, and uh, I mean, there's a bunch we're looking forward to, so we probably won't mention all of them, but. We're going to get some of your uh, input as well as some of the shows that you're looking for because we asked this question on Facebook and a bunch of people chimed in on, oh, on yeah. that. Awesome. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and hear. And why don't you go ahead and highlight some of these for us? So I went and I found this big Uber list of shows, and a lot of our favorites are on there that we've already talked about. But there's some new stuff that I hadn't heard about. Um, there's one called The 100 coming to the CW midseason. Uh, it's based on the upcoming Alloy books written by Cass Morgan. It's a project set 97 years after nuclear war has destroyed civilization. Ooh, dystopia, common trope, boring. However, uh, a spaceship housing the lone human survivor sends 100 juvenile delinquents back to Earth to investigate the possibility of recolonizing the planet. So basically, this spaceship is kind of like England a couple hundred years ago and dumping off their delinquents like it's Australia. Right. Um, and... <laughs> I, I thought I there's an interesting cast and it seems kind of cool and the CW has been tapping into a lot of the youth market, but they seem to be picking up broader demographics than you would think. So I think this is going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean I think it has and the people that are 
I mean, the notables that are seem to be joining the cast here from a lot of shows that we were kind of familiar with, Grey's Anatomy and Person of Interest and Lost. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different people from there that seem it's kind of an interesting cast. Kelly Who from Arrow. Yeah, I mean, so we need to. I think. I think. I think we definitely need to be paying attention to the show mid season. So. Yep. 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 All right. What else, Em? So there's another one called Almost Human, oh, and it's not... To, looking forward yeah. to the show. I can't wait. So not to be confused with sci-fi's being human in this futuristic cop drama from Fringe's J.J. Abrams. I love you, J.J. And J.H. <laughs> Wyman. Apparently you need to have only initials. Oh, my God, I could totally work for him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're human LAPD officers like Carl Urban's John Keenix uh, are partnered with highly evolved androids... And yes, it is like mac and cheese, which was so dumb. I'm not even going to talk about it, except with uh, more lifelike robots and without awkward dude to remote control them. Um, it's it sounds very interesting. I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of JJ. Sign me up. I'm going to give it a couple of episodes and see what's going to happen. And that starts in November. Yeah, so we have uh, a little bit, little bit to wait to that one. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw the trailer to this one, and I absolutely loved... I thought the trailer came off real well. Or it was interesting um, enough to say, you know, I want to go see this. And I saw an ex- like a good 10-minute trailer of it re- recently. Oh, and, wow. And so I'm definitely there. Oh, yeah? Well, I saw an 11-minute trailer. <laughs> oh, well, I saw the entire first episode. <laughs> oh, my God. I wrote the whole thing. <laughs> 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 I know JJ. Let's play nice, kids. <laughs> All right, what else do we have to look forward to, Em? There's something coming to NBC called Believe. It's another mid-seasoner, and it follows an unlikely relationship between a gifted young girl and a man sprung from prison who has been tasked with protecting her from the evil elements that hunt her power. What? There are some great people in here. Kyle McLaughlin, doing much people. Um, he's in that. There's Jamie Chung from Once Upon a Time. Uh, Delroy Lindo from Chicago Code. Great cast. You got me on the cast. This, the punchline is pretty good. Um, I'm going to keep an eye out for this. Oh, very good. Very good. I don't, know, I don't know if it's something I'll be watching, but maybe if M convinces me. So. Fine. Don't watch it. See if it's there. Let's talk about sparkly vampires. Sparkly vamp. No, I don't want to talk about sparkly vampires. Oh, Dracula, NBC. Yes. Oh, yes. Hello, Dracula. Because that needed to be remade. I know. Um, But it's an interesting little cast, you know, and the question is why create new vampires when you can just revisit the most famous one of all? It's a reimagining of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the horror thriller. And from uh, the, I think, the dude from Carnival, Daniel Knopf, it stars Jonathan Reese Myers, who has taken some questionable roles lately, so he better not screw it up. As the classic vamp, I'm so, so supportive of him. Yeah, I uh, see that. <laughs> classic vamp, who comes to London posing as an American entrepreneur, which he can't do an American accent, who wants to introduce Victorian society to modern science. How steampunk! Of course, Drac is just there to seek revenge on those who've wronged him. Uh, but then he falls in love with a human, shocker, uh, who seems to be the reincarnation of his wife. Okay. Well, and the show was ordered to a straight-to-series 10 episodes, so they're doing the whole British formula, and they're just going to put it out there. It starts in October, uh, October 25th on Fridays. It's an interesting spot for NBC because Friday nights haven't always been their strongest. 
So we'll see how it goes. I am uh, as much as I give Jonathan Reese Myers like crap for some of the stuff he's done. He he does delve into his roles really well, and it, it's it's neat to see what NBC is going to do with fantasy. I mean, ABC has been so successful with Once Upon a Time, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, we will. Looks like NBC. Is, I mean, is definitely giving its full support just to say we're going to run ten up. Episodes yeah, ten episodes to see what happens. Mm-hmm. We'll see if yeah. it picks up, and we'll do it. I think that's great. I I like that better than having us saying, "Well, are we gonna do three episodes and cancel the thing?" I like it better when we have like a def, even if it's a short season. You at least have a beginning, middle, and end. Right. Yeah. So yeah. all for that. All for that. <laughs> Me too. All right. Um, another fun one that I didn't know about: CBS is putting out Intelligence. Ooh, now this one I like this cast. I like it, too. Um, Josh Holloway, Mark Helgenberger. I can't pronounce that. I'm sorry, Marge. Um, Megan O'Reilly from Once Upon a Time. James Martinez from Breaking Bad. John Billingsley from True Blood. Right there. That's why you should watch. But right. you should also watch because it's centered at U.S. Cyber Command and focuses on what the unit, focuses on a unit that has been created around one agent with a very special gift, a microchip that has been implanted in his brain that allows him to access the entire electromagnetic spectrum. What? Very good. Bring it on. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in this one, but this one's, again, a mid-season one. We aren't looking for this one until about February. Yep. So we have a little bit to wait for that one. Now, you were excited about this one. Tell me about Killer Women. So I dig it because it was originally um, uh, a series in Argentina called Mujeres Asesinas. And uh, the only reason I bring it up is because Battlestar Galactica fans bring it. Uh, Trisha Helfer is, a, is the only woman in a notoriously male Texas Rangers. A ballsy, beautiful badass. Hmm, who do I know who's like that? <laughs> who, knows how to, who knows how to get to the truth? And isn't afraid to ruffle a few feathers. What? Michael Truco from Battlestar Galactica will be on there too. Yeah, so a lot of Battlestar alumni, at least a little bit in there. That's kind of interesting. Yes. That'll be fun. We already talked about uh, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We won't talk about that one anymore. Nope. Um, what do you think about this spinoff of Once Upon a Time? It's it's once upon a time in Wonderland. Now, I'm given the success of Once Upon a Time and how much fairy tale there is to tell. It was smart to go this route. It's on a Thursday uh, for ABC, which is usually the Grey's Anatomy night and um, the very drama night. There's that other like the the other spinoff from Grey's Anatomy used to be on there but this, since that ended I guess they're filling it in with this and it's set in Victorian England a young, uh, in Victorian England a young beautiful Alice tells the tale of a strange new land that exists on the other side of the rabbit hole an invisible cat a hookah smoking caterpillar like all, all that fun stuff but then um, it just kind of goes in a whole different direction I'd like to see a preview but if I just hold tight uh, October the 10th, it'll be on. Yeah. You know, I think there's an excuse to bring the Mad Hatter into it because uh, in the first season, I only watched the first season of Once Upon a Time, and mm-hmm. and I heard the second season was great too, but the Mad Hatter was one of my favorite characters when mm-hmm. you saw him. And so I think it's an excuse to bring the Mad Hatter back. And, um, yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see. The fact that it's Victorian England allows her to be a little bit steampunkish a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if they, they, they may be trying to play into that crowd, uh, it being that it's become a much more popular it, genre. The, yeah. the, the, the Grasper is. It's on at the same time as Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. So that will be, uh, that means Miles won't be watching. So. <laughs> I will it's, I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do because Big Bang Theory's got to come first for me. It's really just. It's my go-to show. This show would have to be spectacular for me to DVR for me to watch Big Bang Theory later. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Well, Sleepy Hollow already premiered. Uh, did anyone? Wa- did you watch it, Miles? No, I didn't. Did you? Uh, M. Did you? You don't watch it on live TV, but. Uh, no, I have it on my. Um, I have. I think Amazon Prime's got it. I'm gonna try and grab it there. Oh, very good. Yeah, I did not. Did not watch it. It's not one that I, I planned on watching. Really, I think I'm looking down through your list here. The only the one that talk, talk about tomorrow, people, a little bit. Let's chat about that, and then let's move on. Certainly, as soon as I get to that page. <laughs> <laughs> down. <laughs> gotta through. get some notes, people. Um, there's a bunch of great stuff out there. There's a lot of fun things that are coming out. Yeah, we um, aren't mentioning witches of East End Light and then the Lifetime Network, I guess. Yeah, because it's the Lifetime Network yeah, and it's Starcrossed just... and uh, what else? Yeah, there's some other things on there. So I hi- I would love to hear from some of the listeners if they're watching that stuff. Because yeah. I want to know if it's worth it. Um, yeah. Tomorrow, people adapted from a 1970s UK series follows several young people from around the world who represent the next stage in human evolution. Does this sound familiar at all? <laughs> Alphas. All possess- I know. In special powers, including the ability to teleport. Whoa. Gazoon height. Thank you. <laughs> to communicate with each other uh, telepathically, working together to defeat the forces of evil. <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah. X-Men. Yeah, <laughs> I had something in my throat. Right, right, right. Gesundheit. Um, it just uh, seemed like this is done before. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, I guess the fact that they're basing this—this this is based on what a UK show you said, Em? Yeah, it's based on a show from from really. I mean, it was around before I was around, so it's old. Um, it's it's a neat. It's I, I haven't been able to find any episodes of the old show online. Um, so it's just going to be a whole surprise for me. Yeah. I'm going to keep an eye. And that's another mid-season um, for ABC. And I, the one thing that's kind of getting me that I'm seeing a pattern is that they, they're really adopting that BBC style of, of and, and cable television. Cable's the one who really started it in the U.S. to do mid-season series when there's lulls and to do summer-long series when there's lulls. So the big three have really jumped on on that, and they've, they've, they've spread their wings. There's a lot more in genre TV than I expected. Okay. I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I'm looking down over the uh, looking down over what people are kind of um, expecting, like some of our listeners. And hands down, one of the things that people is really people are looking for is Shield is I think almost in everyone's list. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the the blacklist is there. People are looking forward to. Seeing oh, that, yeah. um, and that's not really a sci-fi show, but it somehow makes it in there. I think because James Spader's in it, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, Almost Human is there. Supernatural's on some people's lists. Um, Revolution. Oh, Revenge is coming back. We got oh, Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, Big Bang Theory is there for some people. 
as it should be for all the people. Right, right, right. I am a. I, what I do am, we gotta do, Scott? I don't know. Bribe me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Have to do like a clockwork orange and strap you down and put those little cages in your eyes and just make you watch it. Dude, that's like one of the most disturbing scenes from Clockwork Orange <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm gonna wake up screaming with nightmares. But <laughs> you'll wake up going, "Shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move into some TV news here. We have a trailer for Divergent. Before we get into this, have any of you guys read the book? No. no. Not it. Yeah, but it's one that's really popular among some of the students I teach, and I have not read this either. But I am excited that they're bringing it to TV, and we got, I guess, a trailer for it, right? Right. Right. So let me uh, go ahead and play this trailer, and um, and then we'll just, may, we'll, we'll just talk about it here. Em, have you seen the trailer for this? I have not, and the Wi-Fi in this hotel is being a jerk and not letting me watch it. Okay, well that's all right. We'll uh, let's <laughs> we'll play this, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of observations. It's a trailer; it's a short thing. So, the future belongs to those who know where they belong. You're nervous, aren't you? Why would I be nervous? We're just gonna decide the rest of our lives. You're different. You don't fit into a category. They can't control you. They call it divergent. You can't let them find out about you. And what if they already know? Then you're already dead. The system removes the threat of anyone exercising their independent will. Divergents threaten that system. It won't be safe until they're removed. I know who you are. If you want to survive, follow me. I'm not going to let that happen. You have to trust yourself. You're a poor blend of impulses and impurities. Don't try and define me. I know. uh, So, Miles, what do you think of Divergent? It's definitely... I don't know if I'll see it in theaters, but at least maybe you get maybe a, a rental. Right. You know, here's the thing. It reminds me, Emma, as I'm watching this, very much of the Hunger Games series. You have a, and maybe it's because we have a young female heroine here, right? And, uh, and so I don't want to really judge it on that, but it's almost this post-apocalyptic future. Doesn't well, it seem oh, def- definitely. And yeah. I think that the premise, and I realize Divergent is a, its own thing, but it just, when I, when I watched it, I couldn't help thinking like Hunger Games. It seems that the people, there's some kind of selective breeding going on, and this young woman who is the heroine here, she's different. Um, so I, not, I didn't get from the trailer like what, how she, how this young lady is divergent from her her peers, I guess. Yeah, so the cast is somewhat interesting. I mean, Kate Winslet, I haven't seen her do much lately. I mean, what is... Uh, M, have you seen Kate Winslet and everything anything recently? Um, not anything recently. I do like her very much. I right. think she is she's an absolute talent. She's she does comedy very well and she does drama very well and I love her in period pieces. I mean, I'd like to forget Titanic because it was so annoying. That's right. Um, but she was just a delight in um, Eternal in uh, Finding Neverland and she was great in Eternal Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Oh, she was. She was good in those two movies. Is that right? I agree, yeah. 
Ashley uh, Judd is in this one as well. So I'm, I'm bibbling about that. Ray Stevenson. Wow. wow. Uh, the, there's a name in here, Zoe Kravitz. Is that is that like Lenny Kravitz? Oh yeah, like, I think it's daughter. 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 Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, another connection between what uh, Hunger Games and this this uh, mm-hmm. this trailer. But well, and Zoe's an X Men. Oh, yeah, that's right. X Men First Class. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So March twenty first, two thousand fourteen. Let us know what you think. Are you looking forward to Divergent? Have you read the book? And what do you think about them bringing it to the screen? Well, let's chat a little bit about Jurassic World. You guys excited? Uh. <laughs> Em, how do you really feel? Well, I'll tell you how I feel. Do we need one? According to Universal Pictures, they announced that Jurassic Park 4 has been retitled Jurassic World, which doesn't make it any better. And it'll be filmed in 3D, also not any better, for June 12th, 2015. Spielberg is going to produce it again, which I'm okay with. You just better not screw it up. Um, uh, Colin Trevorrow directs the epic action film. Again, not my words. No real cast on it yet. And, uh, I mean, are we going to see Sam Neill back? Maybe. He's not really doing much right now. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Jeffrey Goldblum. Jeffrey, I mean, Jeff's not doing much. Oh, he'll be in it because he's going to, he's going to milk it for all it's worth. (laughs) Absolutely. They're not making the fly 12, you know, he, and he died in the first one. (laughs) Work is work. You know, I think there's been so much time and you can do dinosaurs so much better. Are we looking forward to this again? I don't know. I don't need to see the, I mean, in theaters, but I can see just, just for the entertainment value of people. I need to see a trailer. People running from dinosaurs, you know, that, that, that's always entertaining. Yeah. We, I need, have to, we, we need to get that in Terra Nova. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, well, I have to point out that I, I went to IMDb to see if there's anything else there. And the plot keywords include island, sequel, science runs amok, and dioxyribonucleic acid. Oh my. That tells us a lot. How would they describe this movie? Mm, double helix. What? what? Huh? Uh, well, let's move I, on. <laughs> I, 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 I tell that we're, we're not very sanguine about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of interested, but I think I need to see a trailer before I call shots on it. Yeah. I need to get the ticket for free for before I say anything. <laughs> Let's talk RoboCop trailer. We have RoboCop coming out in 2014. <laughs> and uh, did you see this trailer, Em? Yes. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's, wa- let's listen to this so trailer. Bad. Yeah. Let's watch this trailer and then comment on it. We are on the eve of a technological revolution. We need to give Americans a figure they can rally behind. Give your mom a kiss. Hi, baby. Too slow, boy. We're going to put a man inside a machine. He suffered fourth-degree burns over 80% of his body. If he survives, he'll be paralyzed from the waist down, confined to a wheelchair. You say you can save him. What does that mean? What kind of life will he have? 
suit is this? It's not a suit. It's you. What the hell did you do to me? Make them work. Tactical. Make them look, uh... Let's go with black. When the machine fights, the system releases signals into Alex's brain, making him think he's in control. But he's not. It's the illusion of free will. I've selected 13 targets, all wanted for murder. This is the future of American justice. You need to speak to your son. overriding the system's priority. The human element will always be present. Compassion, fear, instinct. They will always interfere with the system. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. So what do you guys think? I'm actually pretty impressed by it. Em? I'm excited. It's a different twist. It's a different Alex Murphy. It's um, his partner's a guy now. Um, OCP is now something else. It's a little bit different. Like instead of it being OCP creating this thing, it's um, it's one guy. It's uh, Gary Oldman's character. Um, you get to see a lot more of Alex Murphy as a human before he gets all chopped up and bionified. Right. Um, there's some neat stuff in there and. What's even neater that makes me giggle, and I can't remember if you see him in the trailer, but Miguel Ferrer is in it, and he was in the first one. Oh, and, yeah, he was. And died a horrible little death. He did. <laughs> so he did. I, I can see in the new iteration, he's still a jackal who is trying to <laughs> things with a new name, and he's just been reincarnated into a new universe. You know, I, I think that this, uh, I was worried when I heard rumors of this reboot happening because in a lot of ways you go back to the original and it's very, it comes off as very cheesy now. But, mm-hmm. but I, uh, this seems to be, have a lot of the elements we're looking for when you look at a, doing a reboot like this. And the only, the only complaint I have is it reminds me very much of the Battlestar Galactica robots a little bit. The little whole red thing coming down the side of his face and uh, that one scene and I don't know the shape of it. Hmm. Looks a little bit like that. You're uh, coming with me, punk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm so looking forward. They better they I'm hoping that they pay homage to the goofiness of, of the original Robocop by throwing in some of those some of those fun lines. Yeah, they're classic. You can't you can't almost do without them. Uh, well, let's talk real briefly about rebooting Stargate. So Roland Emmerich says, let's do this. Let's start over because it's been so dang long since we did the first one. Yay! <laughs> and, uh, so this is not a sequel but a reboot, and it's to do it in three parts. So they're playing do all three parts, and um, he nixed the idea as the actors of James Spader and Kurt Russell will not be reprising the roles. Good idea. And um, they will look um, totally different, obviously. And it was – here's the thing. Stargate was not a box office success when it hit theaters. When yeah. it first came out. True. Um, but it spawned TV series after TV series and spinoff series. And I think now if you bring them back to the screen, you would have – I think you would have a successful movie. I'm not saying it would be a blockbuster, but it would be a successful movie. Well, yeah. With, with having 
th- you know, th- three th- three Stargate shows uh, spanning. 10, almost 15 17, years. 17, 18 years. It was a long time. So it was a long time. So you have a lot of diehard Stargate fans that would, just out of curiosity, go, go see this movie. Well, he, here's the thing. You know, this was Independence Day is a, is a movie that put Roland Emmerich on the map. I mean, mm. it was really, it started almost, it almost started the summer blockbuster buzz. You know, Will Smith, it kind of put him on the map. And, and in, a, in a way, this kind of predated that. And he's come he's come a long way as a director too, mm-hmm. and I think that when he when he puts this movie out, it potentially could be better. Oh, I think there's definitely ways to make a new Stargate movie better. Yeah. A little bit sad that they have to kind of disavow the entire franchise. Though. I I, I'll, I I keep holding a candle that maybe they'll do a, a straight to DVD. Stargate movie with you know with our, the heroes we know and love. Oh, I don't think that'll happen if you get these movies coming out. No, I think uh, obviously not. I think MGM is going to focus on on this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, news in here that he is working on the first half of a two part sequel for the '96 Independence Day. Here's what's interesting: Independence Day was initially supposed to be a, a trilogy, right? Oh no, yeah. it, was a, it was supposed to be a sequel to. Um, I thought it was supposed to be a sequel to the Stargate movie, Stargate yeah. movie, and it was changed. Right? Was that? Is it right about that? You, Miles? You're right. Our, our 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 very good friend Chris Judge told us that yeah, uh, shortly so. a couple years ago. Yeah, our good friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, personally. And what do you think about this? I really. What does Stargate and Independence Day have to do with each other? Well, I think the idea was that the aliens were coming back to Earth in response to what had happened on Abydos. Mm, yeah, so okay. this, was, this was kind of a retaliation. But the concept got changed, and I think because Stargate did so poorly, they totally changed the premise of it. It ended up being a real good movie. I, you know, Independence Day had a great cast. It was phenomenal for its time. Yeah, it, it didn't have to be a sequel to Stargate. Yeah, it, didn't, it certainly didn't have to be a sequel, but mm-hmm. and understandable, it's understandable why Roland Emmerich wouldn't want, to, want it to be a sequel at the time. Sure. I mean, it's been a long time since Independence Day, and that, it it. If they took like four years, it would still be relevant because Will Smith would still be like the king of of July Fourth preview movie cash cows. But it's been a while since he he's put anything out. It's been a while since we've seen any of these characters, and are that's the word is relevant. It does it is there a relevance to it? Un, like with Stargate bringing Stargate back. It's had a continued following. I mean, it has its own cons. It's it, it's incredibly relevant. Continues to go on. There's books. There's fan fiction. It's a it's a universe that that keeps perpetuating and perpetuating. And it's I see a natural progression to a reboot. But for bringing a continuation into Independence Day, I I need someone to convince me that there's a reason to do it. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. No. But, no. So excited about new Stargate, and I get the whole James Spader, Kurt Russell thing. Although Kurt Russell hasn't aged since 1978, um, <laughs> James Spader, however, has aged enough for a 78 year old. Right, right, right. But <laughs> Blacklist coming out. Star. Looking forward to that. So. He's so deliciously evil. Yeah, he is indeed. <laughs> uh, Miles, why don't you take us into this week in Star Trek? Okay. So, real briefly, give us, mm-hmm. give us a synopsis of, what, of what's going on here. Well, Star Trek continues to inspire, and 
the NSA director modeled a top secret war room to look like the, the bridge, of the Enterprise, and we'll, we'll put this uh, <laughs> we'll put this on our Facebook page. Um, and we'll put this in the show notes. What are you What are you laughing at, Em? I just uh, you know I live in Washington. I just love that this is the giant pile of horse poopoo that comes out of it. Oh my lord! It, especially after like the disaster that happened in Washington yesterday oh, in the terrible. naval yard. That was terrible. And, and like all the things that go on in you know every yesterday was so sad and horrible. I have friends who work across the street and we're on lockdown, and then I hear that oh all of our tax dollars, which could be going to like better vetting people to work for us, went to making a bridge like Star Trek. <laughs> Hey, thanks, America. Well, this is your, this is your tax dollars at work. It's your tax dollars too, buddy. Yeah, oh man. You know, look <laughs> at this. It's you know the even the doors even have the whooshing sound effect. Shut up. Right there's <laughs> the stations look like they're set up in a way that you would see on a Star Trek bridge, and there's even a captain's chair, so to speak. I know, I know. Look uh, at that. Look at that picture. Oh, we're gonna post this picture. You guys got to check it out. And make fun of it. I, I have to know what people think about this. Oh, yeah. Please let us know uh, about what your tax dollars are going for here. In and Washington. as a Washingtonian, I have no control over this. We're all screwed. Right, 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 right. <laughs> M has no power over this. Well, let's move into our last promo for tonight. And uh, for this promo, let's go ahead and do a promo for the Under the Dome podcast with Wayne and Dan. Because oh, Wayne and Dan. Sorry about that, Troy. Wayne, I'm just so used to it with fringe <laughs> casting, just right. going right into it. But uh, Under the Dome Season finale was last night. Did you watch it, Miles? I did. And what did you think of the finale? I enjoyed it, but the end was kind of, um, the end was kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will we'll talk about that more in our listener feedback mm-hmm. show. But um, if you are watching. Under the Dome and want to give your thoughts to it, make sure you dial in to their show. They would love to hear your thoughts regarding Under the Dome. And here is their promo. Hey, Wayne, what do a woodchuck, an airplane, and a cook have in common? Oh, Troy, this is not the time for jokes. A giant dome is about to appear over the town of Chester's Mill. Exactly, Wayne. The plane, the cook, the woodchuck all would have been better prepared for Dome Day if they had been listening to Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio? I've done some radio before. It's a new podcast this summer by and for fans around the upcoming miniseries Under the Dome. A podcast? Hey, maybe we should host it. We are hosting it, Wayne, and we invite all of you fellow dome heads to come and stay in the dome all summer long. So tune in to WUTD for Under the Dome Radio and leave some feedback on the website at underthedomeradio.com. So we 
interviewing Amanda Tapping. Yes, Amanda Tapping, Amanda Tapping, Amanda Tapping. <laughs> You're not excited at all, Emma. Uh, oh my uh, God, it was so precious. Yeah, man. Uh, we talked about the story about how this interview went down, but and we won't recount that necessarily. What was it like for both of you? I was not there, but for Miles M, what was it like to sit down and sit, you know, and chat with his sci-fi icon? Go ahead, Miles. <laughs> well, watching again. Well, it, it, what a privilege. Um, mm-hmm. l- you know, lo- love seeing her in Stargate. Love seeing her in Sanctuary. Did you say love. I did say love, yeah. um, but no. I mean, she she was very gracious. We worked a little bit on a time crunch because uh, she had a, a panel she had to go to. But uh, so I, there were more questions I would like to have asked her. But she she was very you know she 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 an, you know answered answered the questions gave, gave a lot of time to him and thought to him. I thought, um, but. No, it was just great. I mean, one of my favorite sci-fi shows of all time, and I'm sitting in a room hanging out with Amanda Tapping. I mean, how it doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't. <laughs> it, well, it does when she gives you a hug later. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, how about for you? She was. It was again. Privilege is a is an excellent word, and she was such a giving person. She was so willing to share and to talk about her charity, and she she just and to talk about. What her different projects and her involvement in them, and I have so much respect for what she does, and I didn't realize how much she does, and uh, and has done until we were uh, until like a couple days before when I was really prepping um, for the show, for going to meet her and everything, and I I just couldn't stop looking at her. She's just got these pretty pretty eyes, and she makes a gorgeous brunette, and she was just stunning. She was. And and when I say that, I don't mean like aesthetically. I mean just as a human. She was so fun. And she's another one of those special people at a con where she's very fan friendly, approachable. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, if if you were if you wanted to go see a man tapping and he got an autograph picture, she tried to you know even even though if time was short, she tried to make a little contact with you, shake your hand, say hi, some something just so you have a little moment with her. Uh, she was just very gracious in that regard. That was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so sorry I missed that. E- e- oh, man. <laughs> but anyways, but anyways, so listeners, you get to enjoy the conversation that Miles and M had with her. So enjoy. And uh, if you get ever get a chance to get to con and see her, she is a total fan-friendly and approachable. Make, make a point to see her, yeah. Right, right. And you can take a piece of her home with you if you answer our trivia question. Yep. Yeah. All right. So here is our interview with Amanda Tapping. What's his name? No, why would you... Pete. Pete? Pete Shanahan. He's a cop. Speeding again, are we? From Denver. He's a friend of my brother's. What's that up? Pathetic, I know. No, it's great. Really? Isn't it? Wait, it's not serious or anything. And yet, it is homeworthy. Sir. But Carter, it's none of my business. I'm just happy you're happy about something other than... Quarks. Bad with quarks. Excellent. A bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, a bit. Look. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at Shirley 35, and we're talking with the lovely and the wonderful Miss Amanda Tapping, probably best known for her role playing Colonel Samantha Carter in the long range series 
and beloved Stargate SG-1, as well as Stargate spin-offs SGA and guest starring in SGU, and fairly recently in the Sanctuary show, a show I love, I, I love in this. We can't forget the long-running successful series, Supernatural, that Ms. Tapping is in also. Welcome, Ms. Tapping, welcome, and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you. Can we go back to the beginning? Can you please tell us how you got the role of Samantha Carter in the first place? Uh, well, I auditioned in Toronto initially with thousands of others. I think they were auditioning in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, LA, Chicago, New York. I mean, they just, yeah. So, uh, and I honestly walked away from that audition going, well, I'm not going to get it. You know, why? Uh, it was one of the few auditions I actually walked away from going, this is an amazing part, but I'm not going to invest anything into in my heart in it because I'm not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And then about a week later, I got a call saying, you're shortlisted, they want to see your demo reel, which is a reel of scenes of shows that I had been previously on. And I sent that, and then I got a call saying, you're one of three going down to L.A. for the screen test. And I went, what? Oh, suddenly it seemed real. They flew us down to L.A., uh, I auditioned uh, all the Sam Carters, all the Daniel Jacksons, all the Teal'ks, all the General Hammonds were all in the same waiting room, which was awkward. But um, we went on stage one by one in a very darkened theater with all the MGM executives in the dark and Richard Dean Anderson on stage and did our first scenes. And then they sent us out and everyone went in through rotation. And then they asked certain people to leave. And you're just like, please don't say my name, please don't say my name. <laughs> And uh, then we went in a second time. Now, the interesting thing is during that initial audition, Michael Shanks and Christopher Judge and I, who never met, kind of hung out together and just started talking. And it was very comfortable. And so the irony being, of course, that we all ended up getting the parts. But uh, I went in the second time for second pass with Rick. And I was kind of joking around. And the producers, Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner, came out to me after the first audition and said, you know that stuff you're doing between the scenes where you're joking around with Rick? And I said, yeah. And they said, we love it. Do it in the scenes. So I was like, oh, okay. So they want to find chemistry. And we just, I, I mean, it was a great audition. It was really fun. At the very end of it, they asked that Rick and I stand side by side. And he put his arm around me. And I was like, whoa. So I put my arm around his waist. And I looked out into this darkened theater and went, so is this the swimsuit part of the competition? Like, it just felt like they were just looking us up and down and seeing how we looked together. Ha, ha, ha. I walked out and went, well, that either blew it or got me the part. I'm not sure. Right. And then I waited for a long time, and then I got the call. You got it. You got two weeks to be in Vancouver. What? That's a great story. There's a lot of physicality playing Carter. You got to, you got to shoot guns, you got to fight, blow stuff up. Did you do any? Did you do your own stunts? Did you have a stunt double? Uh, what did you have to do there? I had a stunt double for some things. I did a lot of my own stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and many concussions later. <laughs> uh, but we did a lot of our own stuff, especially the fight sequences. I really wanted to learn them. I had a great stunt double for the first part of Stargate, uh, Kim Shepard, and she she did you know a lot of the falling and rolling. And because um, I'm not the most coordinated person, and I'm accident prone, so. <laughs> but a lot of it I did myself, and I was really proud of that. We did a lot of work with guns and learning how to fire our weapons, reload our weapons on the fly. Um, wait, so we had a lot of training, but um, I would say probably about, in the first few seasons, 60 to 70% of the stunts I did myself. That's fantastic. I'm sure you get this question a lot, and so I apologize ahead of time, but even with all the time that's gone by, if the powers that be come to their senses and decide to make another Stargate movie, would you be for it? Yeah, Good. I think so. It's such a big part of our lives. It's such a big part of our careers. 
uh, and it's always been a very good home for me. So yeah, absolutely. Well, here, here's hoping we get another story. Yeah. Um, now, not only are you an actor, but you're a director, writer, producer. As an actor, did you also want to work behind the camera as well? Yes, always. Right. Always. Before I got Stargate, I was working with a comedy troupe that I helped co-found, and I directed a lot of our stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, I, I directed theater. It was something I always wanted. Mm -hmm. I love Sanctuary. Uh, I was upset it didn't get renewed. However, I got to see the, the last show was a good ending, and we could have possibly seen continue. I love that it took our myths and legends and giving them plausibility and seeing how that works in modern day. And you also had a fantastic crew that to, to and, and cast and crew to work with. Yeah. Um, how how did Sanctuary come about? Sanctuary was Damien Kindler's brainchild. It was a script, a spec script he wrote in the year two thousand, mm -hmm. and uh, he had shelved it. He'd, I think he'd shopped it around and nobody was interested so he shelved it and then he pulled it out of the shelf and handed it to Martin Wood and said, do you think we could do something with this? And Martin said, yeah, I think you should give it to Amanda. And Damien said, oh no, she wouldn't, nah. And so I got the script and, and I swear I read it in like 40 minutes and I phoned Damien right away and I was like, we have to do this. This is awesome. I love this character. Let's go. And then became the slow process of trying to figure out how to get it on the air. That's awesome. Uh, we met uh, Jonathan Williams here last year, and uh, I just knew that whenever Tesla was on, not, not all the shows were great, but whenever Tesla was on, it was going to be something even more special. He's a phenomenal actor. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Young. Jonathan Young, I'm sorry. Um, is doing Hamlet right now in Vancouver at the Bart on the Beach, <clears throat> and he's phenomenal. He's honestly, he's such an astounding actor. I think he's a, a real gift. Um, so when we were thinking about the part of Tesla, Christopher Heyerdahl came to us and said, I know who should play Tesla. Okay. My friend Jonathan Young. Mm -hmm. And we went, oh, okay. And he's more known for theater, especially in Vancouver and in Canada. <clears throat> but he came in and we read opposite each other and he's so charismatic and he's so quirky and so fantastic and I just went, oh yeah. And then he, you know, we we cast him, I think, or originally decided a couple of episodes with Tesla. He became so loved by the cast and crew that every year we were like, When's, what's your theater schedule like? Can you, can, how many episodes can you do for us? <laughs> yeah, I would have had him on every day if we could. Yeah, he, he was great. Sanctuary was also one of the shows that made really good use of green screen. What was the challenge as an actor and a director to work on in most of the green screen set? As an actor, you have to sort of suspend belief and go, okay, th this is a wall, this is a window, mm -hmm. this is a creature, the, you know, like you have to really imagine the environment that you're in and I think the hardest part for all of us was uh, figuring out the scope of the sanctuary because it's so huge and we would play these very intimate scenes and you know Martin Wood for example would say well you're in this massive massive cathedral like hallway you can't you know all oh, right and running you know we'd run down hallways and he'd go oh you just went through a window ah oh, damn so it was little things like that, just getting used to the physicality of it. But otherwise, the beauty as an actor of working on a green screen is there's nothing to distract you. Mm. It's just about you and the fellow actor and the words. So it becomes very intimate. It's like doing theater. And so I actually loved the green screen scenes, even though, and Lee Wilson, our VisFX uh, supervisor, would show us the things that we were looking at and, you know, if we were battling a creature, how it moved, and mm -hmm. um, but it be it was actually really kind of pure as an actor. As a director, I learned because we have to um, put marks on the green screen to tr tracking marks on the green screen so that you know the camera knows 
or the, the vis effects guys know what we're looking at. You can't whip pan on a green screen because suddenly it's like, the, you know, and the guys can't render something mm -hmm. going by so fast. Mm -hmm. So you learn how to set up your shots in such a way. I had a shot in one of the episodes I directed where a train comes through a tunnel and I go up on the crane, the train goes underneath of us, and then I push the crane through the tracks of this overhead tunnel or overhead train tracks and then I tilt up to the actors and it was sort of <clears throat> working with Lee and going okay where's the track this is this and figuring out the speed in which we could do it but we could change a lot of things in post as well but it was a, it was a great education for me awesome um, you, you found an organization to give back and, and, and pay it forward um, and, and want, want our listeners to be able to hear your story of, of um, this, this, this wonderful organization you created Sanctuary for Kids was a brainchild of Damien Kindler, Jill Bodie, and myself. And uh, we wanted to create a charity or a non-for-profit organization where we could give to smaller charities throughout the world. Charities with very little overhead, charities where $10,000 would make a huge difference. And we wanted to absorb the costs. And so if a fan gave a dollar, a dollar went to the charity. And the charities were such that the dollar actually meant a dollar and not 70% administration costs. So we picked handpicked really small charities to work with. We started with Nepal Orphans Home, which uh, Camille Trebiowski, who used to run my website, had volunteered at. And so he told me about Nepal Orphans Home. So we picked them. We picked a local group called the Watari Organization in Vancouver that deals with homeless teens and transitioning them into housing and work and school. Um, and we picked a couple of groups in Haiti that were doing really phenomenal work on the ground in Haiti. Uh, Haiti's a really hard country to work in because so much money went in, but the government sort of held it back and went, okay, well, we need to see what's going to work and what's not. So we picked organizations that had already existed, mm -hmm. and then the need was so much greater. Um, and then Jill and I traveled to Nepal and met with the NOH, obviously spent time with our kids, but met two other groups while we were there, Next Generation Nepal and Asha Nepal, and they deal with trafficked women and children. And once we met with them and got to know how their operations worked, we were like, this is a no-brainer. These guys are amazing. And the beauty of a country like Nepal is a lot of the small charities work together. So there were kids uh, out of Asha, Nepal, whose mothers had been trafficked into sexual slavery in India and rescued. And these kids were now in a special home. Uh, and we hooked them up with the NOH kids and so they ended up going to the same school as the orphanage and they suddenly had 150 new brothers and sisters. So things like that are just, you know. We, we did a little thing at NOH where we wanted to supply them with better nutrition, vitamins or whatever, you know. And Michael Hess, who runs it, said, vitamins aren't going to work. We need better food. So we said, okay, great. What do you need? And he said, we need better quality rice. We need more fruit and vegetables. We need more meat. And so instead of getting meat once a month, the children were getting chicken twice a week. Nice. Uh, they were getting the best quality rice, and they, we doubled their fruit and vegetables. And that year, their pharmacy bill went down by 70% during flu season. That's incredible. And the kids were doing great in school, and the kids were, had so much more energy. Um, five of our kids are going to college for the first time. Next generation Nepal kids are going to college. So it's, yeah. And it all, and I'm going off a bit on the individual charities, but the, the impetus for it was my understanding of the sci-fi fan base. Uh, incredibly socially connected, 
incredibly socially aware. Sci-fi fans talk on forums, they connect with each other from all corners of the earth, and if there's a cause, they will talk it up. And they have been so profoundly generous, and we thought, let's harness that power. And little did we know how formidable that power would be. But <clears throat> grassroots initiatives, like there's a run coming up at the end of the month, Sanctuary for Kids run, and it's around the world. And it's run 5K, raise money, and send it in. And so people around the world have taken up this mantle to do this 5K run in all different corners of the world. Um, uh, tons of tiny fan initiatives that have just been amazing. How can our listeners, uh, if we want to support uh, Sanctuary for Kids, what would Go to sanctuaryforkids.org. We have a donation page. We have blogs. You can find out about the different charities. You can see about our trip to Nepal. Um, uh, and on that website will be all the different initiatives that people are doing. We build villages every Christmas. We do a, a virtual village that we help build and fans donate to a Bricks and Blocks campaign and we build little villages. And So it's, it's amazing. It's my passion. Excellent. Uh, what future projects can we look forward to seeing you in the future? Uh, I think my episode, I directed an episode of Continuum and that's show. coming. Yeah, it's an amazing show. So I did the second last episode awesome. of their second season. Uh, that aired in Canada just last weekend. It's airing in, on Sci-Fi, I think, in two weeks. Mm -hmm. I think they're they're only a few weeks behind mm -hmm. here in the states. Um, uh, Supernatural. I don't know if it's finished its run here in the states, but I did seven episodes for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm directing a show called Arctic Air, okay. which I did last year. So I'm doing a few more, and hopefully going back to Continuum when they get back. Uh, you have another question? Well, yes, a lot of them because <laughs> in the sci-fi world. And something that I've discovered as I've come out of the sci-fi closet and, and told people, yes, I'm a geek, I enjoy this. Yeah. I'm finding that even with the younger girls, they're just starting to find these powerful women mm -hmm. who aren't overly cartooned out. That they're not, they're not that they're overly sexualized. Exactly. Yeah. Just incredibly strong, <clears throat> intelligent women. And when I talk to these to these younger girls and to women of my own age and women who are just starting to come out of their own geek closet, every time, every time it's Amanda Tapping. Wow. Every time it's something wow. about you. And I, I'm just, I'm curious, like how often do people actually come and talk to you and tell you? Because I'm sure- All the time. I, I, I'm sure that there's gotta be a story there. I know I have a little story about you, <laughs> but I'm sure there's gotta be something. No, it's awesome. It's all the time I hear from young women, and especially what I love is families who come up and go, we watched Stargate together as a family, and that helped my daughter wanna get into science, or my daughter believes now that she can you know, do math. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know, the, all these sort of closeted boys subjects, uh, girls are really now embracing. Um, and now there's a whole new generation because Stargate just apparently won't go off the air and reruns forever. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole new generation of little kids coming up saying, I watch Stargate, I love Sam Carter, and I can't be more proud of that. I just, it's amazing. And you continue in these roles that are strong, intelligent, powerful, but not in a giant machoistic way. Right. Is it something you look for, or is it just something that you gravitate towards? I think it's something I gravitate towards, and I think it's something that I've been very blessed to be cast in. Uh, Stargate was a huge revelation for me, but it was something I, I have never been able to play the sexy card. I've never felt that comfortable playing the, you know, coquettish, bimbo, sexy siren part. It's just like not part of my nature. Boys just cried right yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's something that I feel very comfortable with playing smart women with good values, and it's yeah. I guess I gravitate towards that.
It's, I, and I'm sure you know, but as on behalf of everyone who I left in DC, who's, oh my God, you're gonna talk to me. We just want to thank you. Thank it's, you. It's, it's just deliciously satisfying to see that and to see it continue on in other shows like Continuum. And it, it's wonderful. So just as a general blanket Oh, thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. I feel very lucky. I think Sam Carter was, um, you know, there's been a few really strong, great female characters in sci-fi, mm -hmm. and I think it's transcending into regular television as regular, I'll say, into mainstream television, if you mm -hmm. will, as well, um, that these female characters are getting stronger and smart. Gotcha. He's giving you cute. No, no, I'm getting, I know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. But it, yeah, I think that it's something that's changing. Television is changing, and I felt very fortunate that I was you know, lucky enough to ride that ride for as long as I have been. Oh, I think you're going to keep riding it. Thank you. I Thank hope you so. for your time. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. I'm Amanda Tapping, and if you're watching this, you or someone you love is in combat with aliens. But if you keep your head and follow a few simple tips, you might even save the world. Try to communicate. This may all be a big misunderstanding. They're aliens. They've had a long flight, they're tired, they're cranky, they probably don't speak English. So a little common courtesy and a few simple hand gestures. And you can stop an unnecessary war before it starts. Know your enemy. Don't just go in guns a-blazing, do a little research. For example, is their blood an organic acid? Are they protected by a force shield? They must have some kind of protective shield over there all night. Pull up, pull up. You fly into one of those, man, it'll ruin your day fast. Lose the shirt. If H.G. Wells taught us anything, it's that aliens cannot handle germs. Going shirtless, sweating a lot, not showering, these are all great ways to build up a bacterial shield of your own. They'll be too sick to fight. Did you guys take it down? No, sir, it was behaving erratically, walking in circles, then it went down on its own about an hour ago. Now, please, let's go, let's go, keep moving. Seduce their leader. Let's face it, there will come a time when you will get caught and taken to their leader. Alien leaders love checking out prisoners. When that time comes, smile. Try a little small talk. Hey. Your neck waddle is especially squishy. Stuff like that. How rare. How beautiful. Because, and trust me on this one, the only thing better than fighting aliens is loving aliens. Ready for dessert? Sci-Fi Five and Five, where we bring you the top five, the worst five of anything in science fiction or fantasy, in five minutes or less. Okay, folks, let's move into our Sci-Fi Five and Five, and this is a list that I kind of compiled: the top five weirdest inventions predicted in science fiction literature, I believe I should have put on there. Uh, and this is actually pared down from a list of 10. Uh, Em, you wanted to talk about number five. Do you want to go ahead and uh, share number five? I want to share number five because the name is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. 
Vibratory mass penetrators. That's right, America. That's, That's right. what people are trying to invent. Right. Uh, it's included on the list partially because of its amazing function and partly because of its hilariously suggestive name. The mass penetrator <laughs> was actually a device that allowed people to walk through rocks, as mentioned in Harry Harrison's The Rock Diver and used in the story by a prospector. The steel box attached to a belt and vibrated the wearer. In a way that allowed them to move through solid matter. Yes, indeed. Awesome concept, craptastic name. <laughs> well, you know, they did something like this in Fringe, remember? They they used it to break into the safes, and they vibrated, and... Right oh, through. I think I remember that. Yeah, no. yeah so they did it in Fringe. So this mm-hmm. concept's not totally alien to sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh Let's do, I'll do the empathy box here. So the empathy box, this is a Philip K. Dick idea, actually. And um, so with the technology we have now, filmmakers need to work extremely hard using complex camera and acting techniques to make us feel what the characters in the film feel. But that's not a problem if you have an empathy box. First appearing in Phil K. Dick's The Little Black Box, this device attaches to the television set. When both handles were gripped, the viewer would feel everything the character they were watching felt. In Dick's story, the device became so popular, it spawned a new religion. This is a little bit like, what are those, um, is, it those is it the D-motion boxes in theaters now? Is that what they're called? Um, I forget. Um, the ones that, oh yeah, the 4D, so now you, it's kind of like you're on a mini roller coaster while right, you're watching the movie. Right, right. So, yeah, no thank you. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, but you know, I might have, I mean, what, what happens is your, your character gets killed. Yeah, you're kind <laughs> of experiencing that? Uh, no thank you. Not good. Yeah. So, so this is what stabbing feels like. Yeah, all right. Let's watching Dexter. I feel like eating someone's brain. <laughs> Yeah, Walking Dead in that, can you imagine? I could see where this might be a bad thing. Do you want to do the uh, living advertising, Miles? So we have living advertising, and sometimes it seems like a company trains all their employees to act the same way, almost as if they're all the same person. In The Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester, they literally are. In an effort to create a uniform experience for every customer, employees go through months of psycho-conditioning and plastic surgery until they become the, the living embodiment of the company mascot. Imagine going to, the, to buy a Monopoly game and being served by someone who is not only look like but also act in strict accordance with the personality of the Monopoly mascot, uh, Rich Uncle uh, Pennybags. That would be eerie. It is kind of creepy, yeah. But, you know, in some ways, we aren't that terribly far away from this. I mean, just look at what Hollywood does. Oh, sure. You know? It's not a huge leap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to take this next one? You know you want one of these. Hold on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Isn't it cute? It, oh, my goodness. It's my, and the picture's my favorite breed. <laughs> As mentioned in Frank Herbert's The Tactful Saboteur, certain animals have been genetically modified to serve human needs. Through this modification comes the chair dog, a dog that's been altered to resemble and function as a chair. Mm, poor puppy. Yeah. Let's push in a puppy. The dog retains uh, sentience so it can come when summoned. Hmm. And then it can sense your stress and massage you. I don't need a puppy massaging me. If you are standing, the dog thinks you might need to rest. It'll come and softly nudge you at the back of your legs and help you take a load off. All right. 
There is no reason to do that to a puppy because what makes you relax is when you're sitting in a chair with a puppy on your lap and you're giving the puppy love and the little puppy loves you back and you don't, I'm not, no. I think, I think PETA would love this. No. <laughs> uh, well, here's my favorite one. Number one comes in spray on clothing. Ugh. All right. Spray on clothing is one of the most popular futuristic fantasies. In uh, Galactic Pot Healer, love that name, uh, Philip K. Dick again talks about the foam spray directly on the body. It would likely quickly dry and form disposable clothing. In Return from the Stars, uh, Stanislaw Lem talks about, I'm totally botched that name, by the way, I'm sure, uh, about a hotel stocked with cans upon cans of sprayable socks, suits, bathrobes, and dresses, allowing women to wear unique dresses every day. Jack Vance mentioned the green pulp that would spray on wet and dry into velvet. In his novel, that's why I want to walk around. I want to walk around in velvet all the time. And his novel, Abercrombie Station. And it makes you wonder, if so many science fiction writers were convinced this was the future, why don't we have it? Uh, many, 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 many reasons. Right, right. <laughs> They're trying this with latex, and it doesn't work half the time, so. so <laughs> yeah. Scott, velvet? Seriously? What's going on there? I don't know. I don't know, but. You know, a little... Liberace liked velvet. I, I know, I know. We're going to get you some fun, sparkly clothes now. Oh, you've done it. I'm getting you fun, sparkly clothes. Oh, I am afraid. I am definitely <laughs> afraid. Nothing wrong with Liberace. It's just I was not expecting you to be a velvet lover. No, All right. I were, no, I were. Just, it's very lush and chicy and like cuckoo fancy, and you're, you know, a very fun, down to earth kind of jeans and t shirt kind of guy. I'm definitely jeans and t shirt. If they make spray on jeans, I'm totally there. So. All right. Well, thank you, folks, for joining us tonight. If you want to share your sci-fi five and five and let us know what that is, you can, of course, email us or call us. The information will be provided at the end of the show, if I can speak here. I believe that's about it. Thank you, guys, Miles M., for joining us tonight. Thank you. Pleasure, as always. Yep. So uh, I believe that's it. Let's get out of the show and uh, let us know your thoughts on everything that we talked about. We can't wait to see you in a few weeks. All right, till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Everybody do your dailies. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you so much for visiting the Sci Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food and the service and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1 888 508 4343. Or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com. Or send an MP3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash scifidiner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at scifidinerpodcast.com
journey home to you. Thank you. It's been a good day. Good, good. Ah, uh, send to the Twitter. I must get to Twitter now. <laughs> that's really cute. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was even perfecter. Can I see the one you took of me? Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. I'm all about myself right now. You are. <laughs> she remembered my name. I took a couple. Okay, good. There's a good smile. And then you guys working. Okay, cool. We can. That's a gorgeous one of her. Yeah. Okay, well, but you know.